I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to a new Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. I am not Ian. Uh, I'm Sean McAdoo. Ian is uh, not with us today. Ian's in Europe. He's gallivanting around a different continent right now, uh, working on various things. And so, uh, no Ian this week. I am joined instead by Shayna Goldman. Hello, Shayna. Hi, that was a really smooth intro. Really amazing hosting job. Don't think it was. We've been joking uh, as it, as we got ready to do the show how Ian is uh, so smooth on the intros and that uh, neither one of us actually ever does hosting duties. Uh, so, uh, Nor do we ever want to. Or do we ever want to. Yeah, we're just sort of both awkwardly waiting for each other to volunteer to, to do this one. But uh, I, uh, I ended up with the duties, so um, enjoy the show. Enjoy the awkward silences and lack of... <laughs> Uh, polished transitions uh, that are to come. But as far as what to talk about, uh, we've got lots because we're in the middle of the playoffs and we had two two big games last night. Uh, Let's start with the first game. Uh, The Toronto Maple Leafs survive. They live to fight another day. The Last time that we did this show a week ago, I believe the Leafs would have been down one nothing. It was me. I'm no big deal. Everything was okay, and then they lose two straight games, including a total no show on Sunday night. It's three nothing. Everybody is writing the autopsies for this team, and last night they show up and play a pretty good game. I mean, they win the game, and there's no style points at this point. Nobody. I mean, you, you just got to win to stay in. But not only do they win the game, but they, they looked pretty good to me. Now, as as someone who is neutral and not a uh, a, a raving Leafs homer, <laughs> how did you view that game? 
It was good. I think the first period was a little bit tough. I think there was definitely a lot of pressure on the Leafs, so I imagine like everybody was a little bit nervous out there and you could kind of see it, I think. Like they tried to make some adjustments, but there were a lot of gaps between shots and then they took a penalty, which wasn't the best call, but nonetheless. Um, they pulled it together in the second and third, though. I, I was impressed and I think Wool was good in net, so all of that kind of checks out. Was I completely inspired that they're going to win four straight? No, but... I think that they looked pretty fine. I, th I still think that they need to do a better job containing the Kachuk line, though. Like, even though they're not, like, monsters on the score sheet this series, you can see, like, their minutes are still better. But overall, I think it, it was solid. It was fine. It's like, it's a stepping stone, right? If you can build from here, you're good. If this is the effort you're going to put up the rest of the way, you're probably not. Yeah, it's it was, in a sense, probably a frustrating game, I think, for a lot of people to watch because with, with the way it had gone going in, you're... Part of you is looking for one of two things to happen. Either the Leafs lay down, they quit, they they prove us all right, everything that everyone's been saying about them for years, um, or they do the big Undertaker sit-up and, <laughs> you know, here they come and they play a great game and they just go out and they put the boots to the Florida Panthers. And neither one of those happened. You're right. I mean, th that first period was dull. I mean, it was, it, it was neither team was was really making much of a push at all. And the Leafs certainly did get better as the game went on. Second and third period were very good periods for them. But even then, I mean, they get the goal that breaks the scoreless tie on a total fluke play. If people didn't see it, there's a dump in, it hits the official and basically cranes right in front of the net where William Nylander is standing there and he hacks at it with an ugly looking backhand. Uh, that uh, that doesn't even go in, hits the post, and then hits Sergei Bobrovsky in the back and goes in. Uh, total fluke, total lucky break. By the way, for you know anyone who's who's looking at the rule book on that, um, nothing wrong with that play. Basically, if the puck hits the official and goes directly into the net, that's no goal. If it goes anywhere else, it's it's play on. The official is is part of the playing service. Uh, did so you Google that? Like, did you search that up after it happened it. or you already knew it? Because like, I knew you that were very one. good with the rule book. You know what? I, I knew that one because do you, do you remember a few years ago, was it against, was it Roberto Luongo gave up a goal where I think it was the same sort of thing, except rather than coming out in front, like the, it actually went off the official in the corner and then directly in, like it hit Luongo on the way in. And that one was no goal. And so I remember uh, <laughs> uh, seeing that one. But yeah, I mean, the you know if if you're a Panthers fan or you're an anti-Leafs fan, which is maybe the bigger <laughs> fan base, yeah. you're sitting there going, "Hey, the refs literally handed the goal to the Toronto Maple Leafs," um, and that could have just as easily happened at the other end, and and who knows? But um, they go in the third period, they get the second goal again. Like Will Nylander gets the first goal, but a bit of a lucky one. Marner gets the second goal. Hey, great, Mitch Marner's here, except it's like a, a long shot from the blue line, kind of finds its way in, um, you know, uh, but gets in, Panthers come back, score a goal, and then from there, I thought the Leafs did a really great job of shutting things down, which is not something we're really used to seeing from this team. And not against the Panthers team, right? Like, that's the one thing that we know about the Panthers to be true. Like, they definitely don't allow play to be shut down they just keep going throughout the games they <laughs> scratch and claw their way back whatever crap mm -hmm. you want to put like and but like it really is true like the, this is a team that with their backs against the wall plays well against pressure um 
The thing for me that's going to be interesting too is like who continues to play those minutes when they don't control the matchups and when they do again because it felt like they were giving Ryan O'Reilly's line Kachuk a bit and that line did not do well at all in their minutes. Like Achari and O'Reilly and Bunting, I don't think that's a third line I roll out the next game, especially when like you're back on home ice, you can control the matchups a little bit better. Um, do you put Nizen? Do you think, do you change, like, do you change things after a win? Like, I know everyone yes. is so against that. I, I'm a right, like, proactively, did you not learn in round one, right? Exactly. I mean, if, if, if Matthew Nyes can play and we don't know, obviously it was, uh, well, maybe, maybe not obviously, but we all suspect it was a concussion. You don't want to mess around with that. You certainly, I mean, this kid is a huge chunk of the future. You're not risking anything uh, to get him out there one game early you got to be careful with them. But if it's a clean bill of health, then yes, absolutely. You get them back in there because um, it's nice to get a win, but especially right now, like you can't, well, we're going to save them. We're we're not going to put them in because we're winning. Well, you're going to either be winning the rest of this series or you're done. There's no, uh, this isn't like the bunting situation where you go, well, if we lose, we'll, we'll slide them in there. Um, And Matthew Nyes was great in uh, the, the, before he got hurt. So, you absolutely have to get them in there. Um, I, I don't know. Now we go back. Game five. It's in Toronto. I, I feel like there's got to be so many Leaf fans out there heading into game four that were like, I'm not getting suckered in again. There's no way. And then they play. Like I said, they play well. Not amazing, but they play well. And now you're just kind of sitting here going, you know, it is the Florida Panthers. It's They're a good team, but they're not unbeatable. And... Boy, if the Leafs were to win game five and now you go back to home ice and you know that, oh, geez, we got to finish it here because if we don't, it's game seven. And, you know, like I, I kind of joked on Twitter last night, hey, have the Florida Panthers ever been in a series where somebody choked away a 3-1 lead? <laughs> Feels <laughs> yeah, like imagine. that's probably happened. So um, I don't know. I, it, certainly Paul Murray seemed loose after the game. I, the, the, there wasn't any sense that this Florida team is – is all that worried. I, I've always thought when it's 3 nothing, you don't get too worried about the first one. But if you lose two, that's when you start to get yeah. nervous. Because, hey man, it's the playoffs. Nobody wants to lose a series. But you, there are series that you lose and you go in the history books. And nobody wants to be sitting there making the Joe Thornton face after they, they blow a 3 nothing lead. So we'll see. It'll, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, you you could imagine, right, like, it, the Panthers coming out and just roll, having a three nothing lead after one period in Game yeah. Five, and we're all sitting there going, "Ah, oh, they, they suckered us in one more time." Like that feels very plausible, doesn't it? Yeah, and it feels like in Round One, it was kind of the opposite, right? Like the Leafs weren't the better team, and they would win games. Down four to one, they had that comeback ability. That all of a sudden you went, "Maybe this team is different. Maybe it's not just the amazing team on paper that they have that extra bit of oomph that they've been missing all this time." And like that's that's really important. But like, can you feel that way this round? It's like a totally different ball game because everyone went in so like so hyped and rightfully so manifesting their opponent, which is such a cursed action. Every Leafs fan right now should be kicking themselves rightfully so. Like, I don't care who the opponent is. You cannot can I just manifest point out, it. Though, can I just point out, Leaf yeah. fans chanted, we want the Bruins too. Everybody's pulling that we want the Panthers chant. They're like, ah, you guys did this. It's like yeah, they chanted for both. So you manifested and- both. So you were bound to lose either way. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's a way to look it's at it. It's a curse. Yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, it's a curse. But no, like, it just feels like if they're down 3 nothing, like, everyone's going to lose all hope. And, like, if they come back, that is, I think, the series breaker right there, right? All of a sudden, if they can manage to come back. 
But it's just, I think everyone needs to go into game five if they want the Leafs to win super hopeless, be like, this is over, and just mm-hmm. be completely resigned to it. So then your expectations can only go up from there. I think that that's that's the important thing. Manage expectations on the bench, in the stands, outside the arena, everything. Just think you're going to lose because that's how it felt going into this. I think everybody felt so hopeless going into game four. I don't think I saw anyone optimistic. Like, you know what? They could pull this off. It was like, we're here again. And you yep. should feel like shit. Like the the Panthers are the prime example of it last year, right? Don't be too hyped about your series win. Yep. It doesn't matter how you do it. You might get your ass kicked a week later. Well, I have good news for you then about how the typical Leaf fan uh, approaches <laughs> things. But it, it's see, here's the thing. Like I wrote a, a piece that uh, that ran yesterday, so the day of Game Four, and I basically said, "This is it. Finally, this version of the Toronto Maple Leafs is dead." Now, I had some Leaf fans get mad at me, and clearly the ones who got mad at me didn't read even the first few paragraphs of that. People do that? They should get mad after headlines? They just get mad. Somebody on Reddit somewhere tells people to get (laughs) mad at me, and then like all these Leaf fans like show up in my mentions at the same time. Uh, And But if if they had actually read even a few paragraphs, they would have seen (laughs) that what I was saying was this version of the Leafs, the Leafs that can't win in the playoffs, is dead because... They're either going to lose to the Florida Panthers, lose a short series, and and change will have to come. I'm not saying you blow the whole thing up, but something has to happen as far as you know, change, making a change from the core, the coach, management, whatever it is. Something big finally changes, or they're going to pull off a historic comeback here, which is still in play. The door is open, and if they do, then finally this whole like they can't win when it matters thing dies i mean the the winning in the first round yes that put a little bit of it to bed um but if they can pull this off down three nothing then say whatever you want about them you'll never be able to go oh the matthews team you know they they could never win when it mattered so but if they get swept in round three do we erase it again you see that's i I also said that like it's it's a never-ending cycle if they come back from this (laughs) what has to happen in, in round three for it to come back. And it literally hit happen. five games, right? It, it's yeah. got to be hit five Ten games nothing, and just, just look okay. Just look okay. Don't look like you're playing on your heels. Don't mm-hmm. let the media see how many cases of Bud Light you bring in. That was a thing. That was okay. Hold on. What is your take on the celebrations after round one? Because, like, I didn't think it was a big deal that they were okay. like, enjoy, right? In baseball, we see every round, everyone's just like, they partying. do the champagne. Yeah. And hockey yeah, fans I've, get mad about that. Yeah, I and it was like, well, it's round one. Like, is it just that teams generally don't celebrate like that? Or is it that the media just doesn't see it? I don't know which is the answer, but it feels like there was like a little bit of like, it was round one. Let's not get too hyped yet. I mean, don't don't get too hyped. But I also feel like, I mean, have a beer. Sure. You know, especially when it's like, uh, you know, everyone's like, hey, just so you guys know, this this series is a referendum on you, not just as a hockey team, but your character as people. (laughs) You will be bad people if you lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning again. I don't mind somebody but breaking up. But if you don't, up. and if you don't celebrate, then you don't care, right? Exactly. You don't care yeah. you made it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You're, we you're can twist compl- it either way. Yeah. So it's it's look it's uh uh it's it's either either way they're gonna they're gonna get criticized because of the Leafs. That's that's what you signed up for. But I the thing that I keep coming back to, and and I have. Man, I have written some version of this so many times with this team over the years. Is that because of the lack of success, 
a lot of people default to what we usually say about teams that don't win. And they say, well, they, they can't handle adversity. They fo- when the going gets tough, they fold. And what the point that I have made over and over again is that that's not true for this version of the Maple Leafs. When the going gets tough, when everybody is counting them out, this Leaf team plays pretty well. They did it you know, way back when against the Bruins. They were down 3-1. In that uh, first series, I think, against Boston, they came back, forced a Game 7 against Columbus. They're losing the series. They're down 3-0, five minutes left. Game series is over. Season's over. They pull off the miracle comeback. Uh, Even against the the infamous Zamboni game that, if you remember, happened right before the trade deadline. Everyone's like, you got to blow it up. You got to start over. This team stinks. Their next game is in Tampa, the best team in the league, and they go in and they win that game. They, anytime things are going bad and everybody's telling them how much they sink, they tend to respond really well. The problem is as soon as things are going even a little bit okay, they just, it feels like they just pat themselves on the back, they hang the big mission accomplished banner, and they take their foot off the gas. And yeah. so now, I even said in, in this piece that I wrote yesterday, the most likely result feels like they play great in game four, win that game. And then come back home and lay an eight. Now, the, I, I don't know that they play great in game four, but they play pretty well. Um, man, the pattern is that they show up tomorrow night just kind of coasting around. We got this. It's all under control. <laughs> yeah. They- and I, I mean, Sheldon Keith, man, this is your job is to spend the next 48 hours. I don't want to hear anybody say anything good about this team for 48 hours. <laughs> I want him to just be right on them, show them every mistake they make, keep them in that underdog mindset, because uh, it, uh, we know that this can go really, really bad. And of course, they're down 3-1 in the series. They could dominate from here on out and still lose, because that's hockey. It's the Leafs. And oh, well, it's the that Leafs. too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the Leafs. It's way. hockey. It, um, tell me what you think, and, and then we'll move on to the, um, uh, the Oilers and Golden Knights. The goaltending in this mm-hmm. series. Obviously, huge story. Ilya Samsonov goes out. Uh, we don't know his status. In in theory, you know, who knows? Maybe he is an option for game five. But Joseph Wall comes goes in, first start as a rookie, plays great. I don't think stood on his head. Certainly didn't no. steal the game, but plays very well. Sergei Bobrovsky did play well, had some some bigger saves, but you know, again, on on both the goals. You know, not not necessarily uh, ones that uh, that that looked unstoppable. And there's been talk about he in in this phase of his career. As soon as he gets five or six or seven or eight games in a row, the numbers kind of dive. Yeah. So as bizarre as this sounds to say, when we're talking about a guy with one playoff start versus a two-time Vezina winner, has the goaltending tilted to the Maple Leafs in this series? I don't think yet. Like, here's the thing. His start was very good last night, Wool. He had, I think it was 1.4 goal saved above expected. I think he saved seven out of eight high danger shots. Technically, that's one equality start, two stolen win, because what he saved is more than the the, uh, goal differential of one versus 1.4. I don't think it looked like a save, but I see, like, that's why, like, you know, there's the context of the data. Um, You can get away with average goaltending, below average goaltending even in the playoffs, if the rest of your team is firing on all cylinders, which they're not. So I think you're getting slightly above average on both ends, which can work. But with Bobrovsky, like, 
the second you count him in, he counts himself out, it feels like. Right? Like, mm-hmm. every time we see him, it's like, here's this incredible regular season, then he shits the bed in the playoffs. Here's this, you know, great playoff run, and then it's going to come to a halt. I don't know if everyone's counting him out enough this whole postseason that he still has it in him, if it's a mental aspect thing. Technically, he looks very good, though. Like, he's someone that the last few years in Florida, especially in the playoffs, when, like, he hasn't held on to the crease at all, I feel like I watch him... And it's someone, he like gives me anxiety sometimes with some of his saves. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this, this is like, I I would not be able to manage with him as my goalie if I were like a fan of this team, because there's a lack of confidence sometimes in the saves. But like this postseason, since he started, it was a rough go at first, I think against Boston. But in this series, like he looks really strong technically. And we're seeing every great thing about Borowski that we know all culminate into the series. Can he keep that up though? That's a huge question, especially for someone that like, he he's a little bit more rested because he missed time from being sick and then obviously not having the starting net. That might work to him. But I also feel like that's got to build up a little bit. So I really don't know how it's going to go. I think it's going to take more support than what he's gotten. And the team's been very good in front of him. Better than the regular season when we knew, like, there's the defensive flaws, there's this and that. Like, I think that there's a good chance he can keep up an above average level. I just don't know if he has it in him to be a game changer as the series goes on. Like I wouldn't count on him to be that despite what he's done so far. Like that's what would make me a little bit nervous, but the goaltending is so weird. It's, yeah. the, it's we know the least about it, right? You like it's you, you literally never do. No one knows how to evaluate goalies. No one knows how to deploy them, especially this postseason. No one knows how to pay them. Like it, there's a lot there. And, and we should also say, I guess if, if the concern is the fatigue um, which has been an issue as he's been older. And uh, it, you're right. First of all, he did have that chunk of time off. And the other thing is there's been the extra padding in this series, right? There, there was the extra day both before and after uh, the game game three. So maybe this, maybe we're, we're making too big an issue out of it. Anyways, shout out to everybody in the future after Sergei Bobrovsky's 45 save shutout in game five. We're now <laughs> sending this clip back to us going, oh, that aged well. Uh, thank you very much. We we do take full credit for uh, the We inspired him and we'll take a little over. bit of that $10 million salary he has enough to give. I mean, we we know that most of these players are <laughs> uh, loyal listeners, so they're Yeah. Uh, yeah of course they're, they're, they're listening. They're definitely Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, okay, so... The Toronto Maple Leafs down 3-1 in a series. The other Canadian team, the Edmonton Oilers, could have come out of last night facing that same sort of deficit, um, especially coming off a a tough loss in Game 3. They're on home ice. Uh, They needed to deliver, and it's fair to say that they did. 
because we had a game last night where not only did the Edmonton Oilers uh, win to tie that series, they put that game to bed pretty early. Uh, what were your your thoughts just watching? Like, at what point when you're watching a game do you go, all right, this is this is tilted? Like, was it, you know, <laughs> is, is, is it when it's 3 nothing? Is it, you know, right away do you sense it? Like, because, I mean, it just looked like the sometimes you can get three goals. Yeah. And it's like, you know, hey, the bounces, you know, what, whatever happened. It, this one, it, that Oiler team came out firing, winning battles, throwing hits, everything, and scoring goals. Um, is is that one where, uh, I don't know, how do you, if you're the Oilers, I guess, to start with them, how do you bottle that and make sure you've got that again in, in future games of the series? You watch your five-on-five play from that first period. Mm-hmm. And go, this is what we need to do. Super simple. I know, right? Like, yep. hire me as a coach right now. I, I show some tape of their five-on-five five play and go, this is how you actually play when you don't have a power play. You pretend that you're not going to get power plays. And you try to score goals without them. Just in case yep. you don't get that opportunity. Because in game three, we saw they had two power plays and didn't score on either one. And they lost the game. They've been so the thing with the series is they the Oilers have been the worst five on five team in every game up until game four. Um, even the game that they won, I think they only had like 49% of the expected goal share, and score effects say that like the trailing team is gonna push back and things like that. But even when the Oilers were ahead, they just weren't as good at five on five. They actually were in that first period, they had two five on five goals. That's so different from the team that we've seen to this point in the series. You know, it's a totally different challenge. The Golden Knights from the Kings, stylistically, they're two totally different teams. So you have to be ready for that. And the Oilers post-deadline were a good five-on-five team. Before that, it was the little hit or miss. But I just think that right there is like the key. That's when you watch the game and go, okay, it might be out of hand. If you can keep up this level, and they did, the third period was a little bit more slanted towards the Golden Knights, but like the trailing team tends to do that. And the leading team tends to go into a little bit more of a shell and then everything broke out. Mm-hmm. But like it's it's encouraging if you're the Oilers that you actually won handedly two periods without just the power play. Yeah, and you know it's it's always tough, right? Because if you, if you're talking about a team that does well on the power play and and the Oilers are exhibit A of that, and you you go to that well, you know five on five, and they only do this on the power play, and a lot of people, a lot of fans will say, well, wait a second, power plays are part of the game, that counts too, and yes, obviously it does. But especially in a series like this, we've seen the numbers, right? As the series goes on, those whistles get put away. There's fewer and fewer yeah. power plays. And I'd be willing to bet. I, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I would be willing to bet that when you're a team like the Oilers and your power play is so deadly, that effect is probably even more pronounced. Because yeah. the officials are like, hey, man, if I call that hooking penalty, I'm basically handing you half a goal because your yeah. power play is running at 50%. Uh, and I don't want to do that because I don't want to affect the game and you know all of that nonsense. So it becomes uh, harder and harder. To, I, mean, I mean, they might get one or two power plays a game the rest of the way. Most of it's going to be five on five. And yeah. man, they did. They did look good. Did I mean? Did you detect? I, I'm I'm terrible at this, but did you watching the game? Did you see anything different? either tactically or, or, you know, anything that made you, that, that we could say, okay, they've done something here at five on five to get better. Um, because again, it, it didn't feel like this was just, Hey, a bounce here, a bounce there. It, it did feel like something was like, we were watching a bit of a different team. Yeah. 
So before that, the power play thing you noted, so I've been looking at the data for this the whole postseason mm -hmm. because the power play was so effective in round one and I was curious and there's smarter people than me who can compile this stuff. Uh, Cam Sharam does uh, tracking and mm -hmm. he has found that around game five is when you see the penalties uh, called drop off and the teams that have a more ineffective power play are the ones that tend to maintain some edge in getting those calls yep. versus the teams with good power plays. Like you said, they don't want to control the game. And throughout this postseason, even past postseasons, back through 2007, you can see it every single series. As the series goes on, that curve kind of drops for penalties called and power play opportunities. So that's definitely a thing. Um, for last night, the biggest thing for me was that McDavid and Dreisaitl only played five minute, uh, one minute of five-on-five five ice time together. Okay. And Dreisaitl was really good in his minutes. He got, and so was McDavid. McDavid got the Petrangelo matchup. And dominated play in that in the in that time. We saw it, you know, he at times just makes people look stupid because I can't anticipate what he's gonna do because he has so many different moves. There was that one deke that he didn't score on. Like it's just such smart play. So trying to contain him. And now all of your focus is on him if he's not on the ice with dry sidle. That I think is so important because even if all the emphasis is on McDavid trying to contain him, he still has the moves and can anticipate defenders to just make everyone look dumb. Dreisaitl was up against uh, Shea Theodore, who is better at containing him in his minutes, but we just see the level from him that he can carry his own line, which he couldn't do in the regular season until about like mid-February. It, it's just built up from there. So I think that is the biggest edge that you can have is if you can split up those lines, because we've seen, especially without Hyman, you don't have the depth, right? Like mm -hmm. Bukestad, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins were, they had good and bad games as a second line, but consistently enough, like I don't think that you could keep McDavid and Dreisaitl together if that's how the second line looks. So it was like a smart adjustment there because now you have a one-two punch and then you can try to spread out everything below them. That was the biggest noticeable difference maker, I think, that you're watching those two for double the time instead of just all together. Yep. And good news in a sense for the Oilers because as great as McDavid and Dreisaitl especially have been in the playoffs, Ryan Nugent Hopkins have been kind of quiet. Uh, and, you know, after having what a few of us have referred to as the quietest 100-point season, maybe in the history of the NHL, he's been just quiet, period, uh, in, in the playoffs. He gets his first goal of the postseason last night. So you're kind of sitting there going, oh, boy, if if this goes, not that, not that they've been a two-man team uh, in the playoffs so far, but if, if, if the reinforcements are arriving, uh, that could be trouble. You mentioned Alex Petrangelo. Let's talk about the slash. Late in the game, uh, he comes over the top with a uh, just, I mean, it's even call it a slash sounds weird. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, it, this I think is it's a little more dramatic. Overhand chop to the glove of, of Leandre Seidel, who, who then, you know, drops down, but is, is okay, is not injured. Um, Petrangelo gets five in a game. What, where are you on that? Where are you on? Uh, the potential for a suspension. We've sort of kept one eye on Twitter as we're recording this Thursday morning because we assume at some point we will get a note about uh, he's got a hearing, he doesn't have a hearing, whatever uh, whatever might be going on. Um, it, should we expect that the Golden Knights are potentially going to be without him for a game or, or more after that slash last night? Yeah, if that was a slash that happened in maybe the first five minutes of the game, it'd be a different conversation because they'd view getting a game misconduct as a one-game suspension, right, wrong, or sideways. We know that's, mm -hmm. like, the logic. The thing for me with that entire play is I agree with 
the idea that there should have been a penalty called before that, so it didn't get to that point, right? Yeah. But the Kane hit on Petrangelo. Evander Kane th- kind of comes in and fills him in from behind. Um, yeah. Should have been a call. Yep. Yeah. The way Kane's been playing this entire series, the lack of discipline from him, I get the frustration 110%. And if you're the refs, even if it's like something borderline, you call it to settle the game down because you've seen how this game has gone every each each game in this series, right? We see how everyone gets frustrated by the end of the game and maybe they try to get themselves a boost ahead of the next game because, you know, the score is so lopsided. I get that. I'm, you know, if I'm the refs, I'm settling things down. It didn't happen. It doesn't mean that you can take matters into your own hands. And that's what it feels like there. It was a total, you know, boiling over of frustration and you can't do that. It's just super simple. Like, I get it. You're mad, but like you're playing at the highest level. You know the rules. You literally can't do that. And if you're thinking, well, no one else is getting calls on things I am. For that, it's so intentional. And to do it to Leon. What did Leon do to What did do it to, if you're going to do it to someone, you did it to Kane and it's retaliatory. It's going to have more like malice behind it. But I think the refs would be like, well, it's both of you. And there's like a higher chance. You're just going to do it to poor old Leon. who's just trying to, you know, come out here and crush everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's lucky it wasn't, it didn't catch him on the right spot on the wrist where he doesn't have as much protection that, you know, if he broke his wrist, that's, that's a way bigger suspension. I don't think it matters that he didn't get hurt though. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, there, there's so many pieces of this. You're right. They they should have called the cane hit. But if you're Alex Petrangelo, you can't really use that as your defense. Certainly, if you're if you're if you do get hauled in front of the Department of Player Safety, you can't say, "Well, I was mad, so I was out there trying to slash somebody because I was angry and I was looking for for payback." Uh, or maybe you can't. I don't know. With this group, maybe that would, <laughs> that would be effective. Um, it, this, this happens if people didn't see it, the, the context is it's two minutes left, literally in the game, it's four to one. So game's pretty much over. Um, and they did, they gave him five in a game. Now you said, Hey, if they given him five in a game earlier, they, then that, that might've even mitigated. two, even just two to just try to settle it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if, if that play had happened earlier in the game and they give him five and they kick him out of the game, that maybe mitigates the suspension, but also that maybe mitigates them giving him five in a game. It's it's very easy to give to kick out a good player from yeah. a game when there's two minutes left and the game's over. Um, but they gave him five in a game. They did not give him a match penalty, and that means that the officials determined it wasn't intent to injure. A match penalty is intent to injure. A major is basically just a, a reckless, severe slash, but one where they they don't feel like there's intent. I don't know how you get there on that play that that wasn't intent to injure when when a guy comes over the top on a slash like that but that's what the call is uh a few seconds later in game time the next shift um darnell nurse gets in a fight and gets assessed an instigator penalty and at this point there's a minute left in the game and according to the rule book you get an instigator in the final five minutes of a game that is an automatic one game suspension now the rulebook gets a little weird here uh, because what happens is the, the rulebook makes it clear instigator in the final five minutes, automatic one game suspension, automatic, not an option for a one game suspension. It's automatic. And this is because they don't want guys jumping guys in, you know, at the end of a game. But rightfully book, so. <laughs> yeah, rightfully so. It, it is a good rule. But the rulebook also makes very clear that there is an option to rescind that automatic one game suspension 
if the 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 director i think i think somebody said it's Stephen Walkham in this case so this isn't a George Paris thing this is the 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 officiating director feels like it wasn't a case of score settling or targeting a player or whatever and i think in this case you could make the case that Darnell Nurse was looking for a fight but he wasn't uh you know th- this wasn't payback he he didn't jump somebody this didn't feel like the sort of situation that the rule is intended for and so uh it can be it's automatic but it can be rescinded which yeah. maybe means it's not automatic after all uh those two plays darnell nurse alex petrangelo in theory have nothing to do with each other other than the fact they happen in the same game that's getting out of control i can't help but feel like though this maybe gives the department of player safety cover that if yep. darnell nurse does get the automatics uh suspension they can then turn around and give Petrangelo a game. And they, and it's it's like it's like game management for the Department of Player Safety, right? Like nobody calls penalties in overtime, but if you can give coincidental minors, then you'll do it because you're not really, you know, both your both yeah. teams are losing a guy. You know, am I overthinking this or could you see it being No, no, you're like, not. You're not at all. Yeah. Nurse it, it's gets the his way game. It is. Petrangelo gets his game. You both lost your, you know, in oh, theory, wait. top defenseman. He has Petrangelo will have a hearing for slashing today. Okay. Just got it. Just came in. All right. Now, so having a hearing does not necessarily mean a suspension. I can't see it not it though, almost in this always case. does. Yeah, yeah, it almost always does. And, and, and we have seen um, guys, you know, the the classic $5,000 fine, yeah. right? That uh, the maximum allowable under the CBA, those typically don't come with hearings. So like you, you don't see, hey, this guy has a hearing and then find out you just, they just say we find him. It's possible for them to have, we have seen hearings where guys don't get suspended, but I'm not really sure what, I mean, what's he going to say at this hearing on this overhand slash and then be like, you know, oh, I saw. I was stretching. I was stretching my arm. I saw like there's like this big spider like crawling up his arm. (laughs) I I was helping him. Yeah, I was. There's a rut in the ice. I was trying, you know, like, you know, when you're driving and like the automatic arm comes out to the passenger seat, like, you know, like parent to a kid. There it is. I was doing that. There was a rut in the ice. So there, okay. So, so Petrangelo has has an excuse. He's, he's going to get suspended. I feel safe saying, uh, knowing this now. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, again, I realize it has nothing to do with the Darnell Nurse thing, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if now Nurse gets a game as well and they balance it out. Coincidental suspensions. Is, do you think, is there any chance this is more than a game? Um, if he got two games, I think it all but guarantees Nurse is going to keep that one game, right? Like, that's the yeah. balancing the scales I think that we'll see. Um, that's a tough one. I feel like my logical brain would say... It should be maybe two or three because of the intent, especially mm-hmm. for someone who wasn't involved in anything either. Like, I just, I don't know if that does matter, but then the no injury thing is what might knock it down. It's going to be a yep. game, I feel like. It's it, like, this is this is the NHL. And it does feel like it's really funny because like you mentioned, like the no penalties and overtimes, like that's changed this year. It's the highest rate of penalties we've seen called in three on three overtimes, which is leading to the highest rate of power play goals in overtimes to try to end games earlier. We're also seeing more calls at the end of regulation this year, which we weren't before in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But that directive feels very different from the Department of Player Safety directive because everyone wants to keep the scales as like balanced as possible. It feels like with a lot of the calls that we're getting, I don't know how else to explain some of the decisions by yeah. player safety. So I don't know if they're going to look at that and go, this is our opportunity to 
suspend someone and not feel as bad about it because we know that Keen is like, which comes first? Which suspension is going to be announced first? Because this is this afternoon. So today. Mm-hmm. He's having a hearing today. Yeah. The next game's tomorrow. So they've got, yeah. uh, you know, they've got their time. So whose announcement comes out first? And does it matter? Like, could, yep. could it matter? I don't know. It, like, especially since it is, in theory, two different groups making the decision. Right. So, at, I mean, do they pick up the phone and talk to each other? I'm willing to bet that they do. But Who goes first is probably the easier one, too, because this, whoever mm-hmm. goes second is the lasting impression you're going to get. I, I mean, I'll tell you right now, if, I, I mean, it, it won't happen now that he's having the hearing, but if, if Petrangelo didn't get a suspension and Nurse did, that would Oiler be, fans would lose their minds. They would, they're going to lose their minds for less. So, and, yeah, and, that and would I'll be say, something. I'll, I'll say one last thing on this. And again, I hate that I think this way as a hockey fan, but I don't think I'm wrong. I think he gets one game. I think that if that exact scenario plays out in the exact same way last night, but the score is flipped and the Golden Knights are winning yeah. and the Golden Knights now lead this series through to one, then I think he gets two games. Yeah, because, no, no, you're 100% right. Because, because you're trying you, you to do something. And you wouldn't be risking... That he's, he's sitting out as his team gets eliminated. You'd say even yeah. if they lose two games, series is still going on. Whereas now you don't, if you suspend them twice and they lose both the games and they go, well, you know, it's the part of the play. I, again, I hate even having to think through this stuff, <laughs> but you do, right? There's like yeah. different levels of it. And how can Because they... no one wants to be responsible. No one wants to change yeah. the results of the game. And the other part of it too is with like the score in the game itself versus the series. Like, you know what you're doing. At that point mm-hmm. in the game, if you're behind, you're the one that's frustrated. It's the same thing with, like, the Truba conversation. He made a hit when his team was down 2 nothing to try to change his momentum because it was, like, a desperate play. This wasn't that, per se, because it's like, we're just mad. And yep. at the end of every game, we're just going to kick the crap out of each other because we're mad. Like, that's how this series is going. I think there's a little bit of a difference between it as I'm trying to make a big statement to my team to wake them up versus, which I still don't think what he did was right. But I think there's like a different in that messaging versus this, which is we're down in the game. I, there was no call on me a second before. So now I'm going to be mad about it and I'm going to mm-hmm. be reactive. And it feels like that's the whole idea of player safety is to ensure that players aren't too reactive and aren't doing things that are borderline or dangerous or whatever because they're mad, right? Like, that's what we're trying to manage to a point unless everyone's like, keep the emotion in it. Yeah, but it's not the... We should try it sometime. We should, Um, in theory, once, twice. Just to see. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, Speaking of getting mad and kicking the crap out of people, the Philadelphia (laughs) Flyers... have uh, I wasn't sure news. where you were going with that, but that was yeah. that was a nice transition, That's, very smooth. I, I mean, look, I'm not Mendez. People know that, but I'm I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. Um, Philadelphia Flyers have found their new GM, who is the same as their old interim GM. I, I think, to no one's surprise, Danny Breer, and they found their new president of hockey operations, who is Keith Jones, uh, a longtime player, a former Flyer a very well-known personality from the media, but also somebody with zero front office experience in the NHL. Um, what were your thoughts when, well, what were your thoughts when you heard about those two hires as well as what were your thoughts when you saw this bright orange statement that the Flyers put out uh, that outlined apparently their new slash old uh, philosophy of how they're going to move forward. So I'm not surprised because it feels like if any organization likes to go the former player route, it is the Flyers. It feels like that is essential to them. For Keith Jones, it's interesting because this is someone too who like was his own agent at points and did things like that. Like it's someone who I think has some sort of a brain from a businessy perspective, but it's a choice to go if you're separating president and GM to have that balance, checks and balances in your organization, which isn't a bad idea, right? So no one has too much power. To go to former players that are inexperienced, I think is a little interesting. Like I would have expected someone with a little more maybe clout in the front, you know, front office perspective mm-hmm. as uh, president to manage that GM. Right, wrong, or sideways is just what I would guess. Like I, I, I have no problem with new people getting chances, right? Especially like if Breer, they he was there for a bit. He was the assistant GM, and then he had time as the interim GM. There's faith in him to move forward. Why not usher in someone new? I'm just surprised. Then you'd go for inexperience at the top, but it feels very flyery because the experience is being a former player, and that's all that matters. The yeah. statement that was a choice. It's it's a choice. Um, wouldn't you res- wouldn't you pay a hundred dollars to know? exactly how that all played out who wrote yeah. what you know which i mean i i want the word document with like the little editing i want to know like which ones are john tortorella and which was keith jones and all of this like like whose decision was it to to work the phrase show up and work your ass off into an official team statement uh, i personally like that one line that is one line okay. that i'm gonna get behind because it brings a human element that we need in this game. We need human elements everywhere to have mm-hmm. mistakes, to have wrong things, right? That's the excuse for everything. Penalties called, power play opportunities. Well, there's a human element to officiating. We need a human element in team statements. I want to know when they were editing it in the Word doc. You know how normally it's like a red pen? Did they switch it to an orange pen? You had to. to. keep the theme, right? They had to, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a new era of orange. This is, I, I, it sounds a lot to me like the old era. Uh, cause you're right. Former players, uh, this is, this was obviously the team of Bobby Clark and Paul Holmgren and, uh, Bill Barber and guys like that always being in, uh, important roles 
Um, Danny Breer is a guy with not a lot of NHL experience in the front office, but he has, you know, the, the phrase I use sometimes is he's not just walking in off the golf course here. Like he, he has been doing the work since he retired. Both of these guys, everybody says both of them are bright guys. Um, and you know, that maybe the team president role, you, you never know. Certain teams are different. Sometimes the team president is the guy running the show and sometimes he's more of a figurehead. And more of the guy who does media. And if if you're looking for somebody to be the media guy, Keith Jones might be might be your best option. Um, but the fact that they're both former Flyers, uh, yeah, that's I, I don't know. I mean, look, it it can work. As much as I know I personally, I roll my eyes every time a team hires some former player. It's always yeah. like, really? Like you scoured the whole hockey world and the guy that you came up with just happened to be a popular former star player. For your team. How many times has it worked out besides Iserman and Sackick in recent years? Like, yeah. are you trying to recreate? And look, if that's what you're saying, Sackick's right? has been great. Yeah. Um, you know, Iserman started, you know, he was great in Tampa. Yeah. He's now gone to Detroit. But he, you know, he was one of the few that, like, he didn't just walk into that job in Detroit. Brendan Shanahan, I would say, has done a good job in Toronto yeah. as well. Another case of, of going to not a former team. I do think Rob Blake's been good in L.A., yeah, uh, and the other one that you could you could point to is Kevin Adams in Buffalo, who a lot of us at the time just said, "Oh, okay." The, he the Pagula- supported himself better than I think anyone else. He's yeah. and this is me being biased because I'm a nerd, but he mm-hmm. hired Sam Ventura. He invested in their data, and it feels like it's trickling down the whole organization, which is what you want to just have more information. Yeah, but I mean, remember when he was hired, right? Like a lot of us went, oh, the, the Pagulas have just hired their yes man. Yeah. He was, you know, in some other piece of the organization, no experience. He's just, he was the only guy who would take the job. And he's done <laughs> a good yeah. job. I mean, it, he's he's made a lot of us uh, kind of eat our words on that a little bit. So, you know, sometimes it works. And sometimes you get Ron Hextel coming back to Philadelphia or, you know, you go well, down Ron the Hextel list. had a bad, bad rap before that though right mm-hmm. like it's not like that was his first time being bad that's yep. what's so impressive like i rather you go for someone with no experience who you don't necessarily know is bad but there's a chance of badness to come with it like mm-hmm. that's the that look at coaches bednar cooper guys like that uh yep. rod brindamore little experience beforehand so that we're bringing different people in we're we're expanding the carousel just by like one inch Mm-hmm. only a little bit and like that's a good thing um question for you though did you happen to go when you saw the message right the tweet mm-hmm. did you simply open up the tweet or did you go to the flyers actual twitter page oh i i just opened it uh in in front of me why do i need to go you should go there... to the, look at their header the new oh, arab boy. orange the okay. way it's written with their logo on their their uh official twitter is a choice i'm very excited now they okay. they clearly didn't invest too much in this, I guess. Like, or this is the simple approach, which maybe fits with the statement of everyone work hard and yeah. work your asses off and no I, okay. excuses, no shortcuts. Keep it super yeah. simple. Did it... <laughs> I need oh, a wow. shirt. Okay. We have we, they got to sell shirts. A new it's, era of orange. It's just an orange shirt just and white words, letters. A new era of orange, uh, and that on an orange background. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't. No, no shortcuts. I, it feels to me like this was uh, this was done pretty shortcutty. But uh, okay, I, boy, I tell you, I, 
I, I, as somebody who used to live in the marketing world and I've seen consultants come in and uh, take over, uh, hit us with a bunch of nonsense about what our new brand is. Somebody even pointed out that it looks like the circle in the flyer logo has gotten a little bit darker. Um, it does it, a little bit. It looks a little darker than the background. Dark. Yeah. Times are getting darker in, uh, in Philadelphia. Oh, well, good, good luck to them. Uh, we do. We have no Jesse Granger. Uh, he is uh, traveling this morning, so we will close the show by going to. Uh, let's go to the mailbag, and uh, let's start with uh, let's start with a voicemail that we've got. And I'm stalling here because I'm supposed to read uh, the little thing that Mendez always does so smoothly. Remember, you can reach us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. And then Ian always says, we'd love to hear your voice. He he never discussed that with me. I never told him that, but he's he's speaking on my behalf. And we did get a voicemail this week. I'm going to say it. You -hmm. would love to hear their voices. Please, please send voicemails directly for you. Everyone wants to hear your voices. I can't wait. I'm not going to be here to listen to them. So let's listen. You You get to listen to Andre's voice because Andre has a a voicemail on a discussion that we had last week where we got sidetracked trying to figure out the best player whose initials match the initials of his team. Uh, And Andre uh, weighed in on that right here. I was thinking about the players with the same initials as their team. I'm not sure it totally counts, but the best I could come up with was Ray Whitney did play one season for the Red Wings. Uh, I don't know how much better anybody else can do than this. Thanks. All right, so Andre is saying Ray Whitney should count for the Detroit Red Wings, uh, which is a little bit different than than where we had been going, but yeah, Red Wings RW. Ray Whitney, I call RW. bullshit on that. No. Yeah. No. No. Nope. You're, you're not allowing it. Nope. Got to be dr. Okay. All right. Because well, everyone else has to have city team name, just yep. like Toronto Maple Leafs that should be TM. Okay, so this is the, the, our Tim first Maple. email was Chris in Vegas. He he wants to know the ground rules for the three letter teams, and he says, "Are we doing is Detroit Red Wings DRW or is it DW?" You're saying it's DR, and I think that's what yep. we said too, right? Toronto Maple Leafs TM. What about Tampa Bay Lightning? TL. 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 Yeah, so we we if we're gonna cut off if we're talking about Tampa, if we're talking about Tampa, what do we cut mm-hmm. off the Bay? Yep, yep. And bonus I'm points if their middle names with the B. I'm with you. First letter of the city category, first letter of the name category. Those are your initials. I'm I'm with you on that one. It, it, two two other things that were interesting about this, we managed. We were all kicking ourselves because we realized after the fact that we managed to have this whole discussion without pointing out that Connor Bedard could go to either Columbus or Chicago. And of course he does end up going to Chicago. So Connor Bedard might be the one. And then the other thing that happened was- I just like that. Well, yeah, I mean, we're we're all still a little bumped out about that one. But the other thing that happened was we got, it's it's funny, our producer Danielle was telling me uh, that that she got a bunch of messages from people. I know I got a bunch of messages uh, on Twitter as well as a few emails from people going, Peter Forsberg, Peter Forsberg, Philadelphia Flyers, that's your guy. You got to do that. And if you listen to the episode, at the very end of the episode, that one occurred to me and I jumped in. In fact, I interrupted Ian as he was doing his clothes and I said, it's Peter Forsberg for the Philadelphia Flyers, Hall of Famer. That's our guy. And so the number of people who reached out to to give us, that must have been yelling at their devices 
and then had to write back and go, sorry, I hadn't listened to the whole episode yet. I, I apologize. It's the same as you getting yelled at for the headline thing in the first paragraph. This is exactly. the podcast version except, of it. Except these people actually did come back and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I made a mistake. The angry people on, on Twitter almost never do that. Uh, let's do a, a couple more emails. Um, let's see. I know there were a few good ones here. Uh, this one is from Sean. Not me but he does spell it correctly. He says, on May the 2nd, 1986, the city of Hartford threw a parade for the Whalers for having finished fourth and winning one round in the playoffs against the Quebec Nordiques. Uh, and uh, it, Sean says that he was there for the clincher in game three. This was back when the first round was only five games. He says, I realized that would technically be the previous week in hockey history, but I want, uh, I thought this event was important enough to make an exception. Um, where are you on that? Having a parade for winning one round, yes or no? Toronto didn't do it, and they had the drought. Why would anybody we else do it? Done it, it? We, we haven't done it yet. We haven't done it unless yet. give us some time. Unless wait a sec, the parade of Bud Lights to the locker room. There's that a mini parade. I mean, I guess we can't it. we can't say no Bud Lights and allow a parade. I, I do have to say. Uh, in, in 93, when the Leafs went to the conference final loss in game seven, they did, it wasn't a parade, but they did have like a, a city hall kind of thing for that team. So, um, I think there has to be a difference, right? Parade versus just a party. I feel like you can celebrate if you're the whalers too. And it it, was that the first time, like if they go that far, like, I believe that would have been their, their first, uh, playoff win and certainly one of their only ones. Yeah, I'd say party, no parade. There's a I'm, difference. I'm looking at this and because uh, because Sean linked to a uh, a blog post and boy, there's some there's some nice photos here. There's uh, they got like some sort of uh, they got floats. They got Ron Francis with hockey hair. This is this is pretty good. People know where I'm at on this. I'm all in favor of it. Celebrate anything you want. You don't have to win a Stanley Cup to have a parade and especially the Hartford Whalers. Um, Hartford Whalers are cool. They never won anything. Yeah, so they are cool. All right. This one's interesting. This is from Phil. We get to be GMs here, okay? Yeah, it's draft day 2023. You're both the new co-GMs of the Winnipeg Jets. Your first order of business is you have to blow up the core, move out uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Scheifele on draft day. Who do you move them to and for what? And the two hitches are they have to be realistic trades that the other team might accept. And also, also, Connor Hellebuck has told you he will re-sign at five years at $8.5 million, but you have to prove to him that you are at least semi-competitive so you can't just trade both of those guys for picks. So it sounds like what Phil is asking for here are some hockey trades. I, I've got an answer for Phil that's got a bit of a twist on it, but I'll, uh, I'll defer to you as my co-GM. Um, what are you doing with with? Uh, either of those jet stars or anyone else on the team, um, are you accepting Phil's premise that you're you're going to make hockey trades, or are you in blow it up, get draft picks, and start all over again mode? If you're trading Hellbuck, you're one legitimately good, consistent player. It does feel like you're tearing it down, and I'm not opposed to that for Winnipeg because it feels like the core that they have. Not only are they like flawed players, which can be okay. It feels like the vibes are off. The accountability is off that I think that if you're going to start changing things, you might really need to like ramp it up. If you're, if, but if you're getting rid of Helen Buck, like at that point, just blow it up. Why not? Now, 
Now, Phil is, Phil is saying it sounds like here, Connor Hellebuck is willing to re-sign. Hellebuck's a free agent after next season, if, if people right. don't know. Is he willing Sa- to resign with his new team says, or with well, the Jets? Says he's told you, sounds like he's telling you, I'm, I'm good to stay in Winnipeg. Five years times 8.5, but I, I don't want to do a rebuild. Okay. I want to, uh, I want to stick around. I, I'm here to win, so don't trade anybody just for, for draft picks and futures. Okay, so Dubois, the problem is you have no leverage. You have no leverage. Yeah. First of all, everyone knows he wants out. Second of all, everyone knows he might want to go to unrestricted free agency. And third of all, everyone knows he wants Montreal. So if you give Montreal Dubois, they can shortchange you, as they mm-hmm. should. I would be looking for a defenseman if I'm Winnipeg, first and foremost, if I'm trading someone, because Josh Morrissey is a very good top pair defenseman. Uh, yes, he trailed off in the second half of this season. I think that with a better defensive core, he can maintain that top pair caliber that like we know his peak to be. Um, and that's not guys like Neil Pionk. Like that's not your number two. So good luck finding someone. I would I would be trying to find like the young 21, 22 year old who's just breaking through. Uh, you might have to add more to the Dubois package then. And I probably am getting rid of Shifley too and trying to just find another center. Like I'm probably looking for like another center, which is like not easy, obviously. Look mm-hmm. at Columbus and they're centered up like in Minnesota. Like there's a lot of teams who want centers, but I think that there's a way to do it and stay semi-competitive if, if Hellenbuck's staying on. And that cost is not bad for someone of his caliber, but it just feels like they have to be really smart and aggressive elsewhere. And this was kind of the year to get that going and they didn't. So mm-hmm. if not, you trade Hellenbuck for every single penny you can get back and try to use, you know, like teams are so scared to go for that big trade, right? Like for the Sharks, it was Timo Meyer. Like go for the big trade and get as much back. Or last year, if you had the conversation with like Hurdle, you get the most back for that kind of player. Yes, it hurts you in the interim, but now you have all these pieces to work with instead of trading all these fringe guys and only getting a little bit back. Like that's your game changer for your rebuild. Yeah, I, my my answer here and my twist on it is, and, and I agree with everything you just said on the 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 forwards. I do trade Connor Hellebuck if I'm the Jets. I, I think that's my potentially most attractive piece. It's a situation where there's, you know, it's there's always a couple teams looking for a goaltender every year, and there's always lots of goalies out there. And we see, you know, last last summer was the big musical chairs of goaltenders, but there's always something like this. And what does everybody always say at that time of year? You know, when when the Leafs go and get Matt Murray and people like me go, this is a terrible trade. They go, yeah, but who's out there that's better? Vasilevsky's not getting traded. Shesterkin's not getting traded. Hellebuck's not getting traded. Well, wait a second. Connor Hellebuck, if If, if he's he gets available, traded, John Gibson's becoming available, though. Like, well, yeah. I'll I, plant my feet right there. I feel he like John be Gibson has been is. available for yeah. a while now, and, and maybe the market isn't there. But I, there, there certainly would be one. And yet, I mean, it's goaltending. We, I mean, we've said a few times on the show, goaltending's weird. I don't know that you take a huge step back without him. He's my first guy. If he's... if in this scenario, he says, I'll do five times 8.5 for a contender. I say, good, keep that in mind. Tell that to the team that we're going to trade you to, because then we're not just trading one year of, of this guy. We're uh, team knows they're going to be able to lock him in. That would actually be my starting point. And then, you know, whether it's a full tear it down rebuild or not, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to roll with uh, roll the dice 
on some goaltenders. So that's I feel why like the Leafs and Devils all dive at him and offer up a lot. Like Pittsburgh, you would Pittsburgh think. would be a really intriguing one. You know, it's it's always and and the other thing is I do it in the off season because yeah, yeah. you don't do it during the season because if you wait and you know there's always that argument that well at the deadline this or that. By the time you don't you give get them enough the deadline, time to, yeah. to practice with their new goalie coach and acclimate to a new system Absolutely. and everything. Yeah, you Absolutely. can't do that. And, and then the other thing, though, is by the time you get even halfway through a season, all the teams that are good probably have good goaltending. That's why they're yeah. good. All the teams that are bad have bad goaltending, but they're not going to trade for a guy with one year left. Uh, you know, except for every now <laughs> and then you get a team like that. But generally speaking, I think there'd be a lot of teams out there that would be interested. One more real quick one. Um, this is uh, this is just an interesting one. This is from Sid. He says, put the entire early 90s NHL into a time machine, bring it to 2023, including today's rules, coaching strategies, equipment, styles, etc. Um, how do the results change? What players and teams improve the most and the least? What would the standings and leaderboards look like? I'm not as interested in the standings, but who are the players from that era that you drop into today and they see significantly different results one way or another. You know, like the third liner is in the nineties. Like I could tell you like growing up even now, like it's, we did the NHL 99 and I was like talking to my parents about it. My dad would be like, this guy in 1990 was a 150 point scorer and he's on your second line on any team today. No one can stack up to that. Those guys super mid. And that's going to yeah. be so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. But- like yep. all these guys everyone knows is these like heroes become so mid and that I like it would be funny to see it but like now scoring's back on the rise so it brings some intrigue like how does we get the answer of like how does Brian Leach stack up to Adam Fox yes I'm a homer yeah. and I'm biased but like that's like a fun storyline but for me it's how do we see guys like Lemieux and Gretzky go up against Crosby and McDavid like those are the big questions for me imagine mm-hmm. Like Lemieux and Crosby on the same team right now. I feel like Lemieux the is the guy that always jumps out to me, even more than Gretzky, as the guy that would just be unstoppable today. Because, I mean, you go back, and he wasn't, Mary Lemieux wasn't necessarily a speed guy. Uh, and there are some guys like Pavel Burry, I think, would tear this current league apart with his speed. Um, young Timu, probably the same. Merrill wasn't a speed guy, but you go and watch those highlights. He's wearing two guys on his back at all times, like a backpack. They're just open field tackling him, slashing him, hacking him. You put in his prime Mario out there and guys basically can't, you know, they can't slash at his gloves. They can't, you know, water ski behind him. I feel like he would just absolutely tear this league to shreds. Um, yeah. And then as far as guys who wouldn't do as well, Obviously, Scott the, the, Stevens maybe not with Scott all the penalties. Stevens, yeah, Scott Stevens loses his superpower. He he would not last. He'd be suspended all the time. Um, obviously, the enforcers are gone, and and you're right. I I think any from that era, almost any depth player and almost any goaltender. Uh, oh my god, the goaltenders! I know it's 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 right. If 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 people don't know, Shane is younger than I am significantly. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's I, it hurts me a little bit to say this, but. Yeah, some some of those goaltenders who could barely even go side to side. They they don't need to make the trip. You they, they don't even need to get in the time machine. Uh it's all good. Yeah, uh, just stay. Just stay home. Speaking Become- of the age difference, <laughs> I, I want to do this. Uh we, we always wrap up with a look back at this week in hockey history. And I'm I'm fascinated to hear your view on this as somebody okay. who is is uh, you know, not not so young that you don't know this story, but young enough that you didn't live it. 
May 8th, 1988. Oh, no, I didn't live it. Yellow Sunday. <laughs> you don't have to say that one. I'm sorry. Yellow Sunday. <laughs> Let me, okay, when I say Yellow Sunday, do you know what I'm referring to? No, I don't actually. Okay, so this is and I read a lot of hockey history stuff. This one is I don't know unless is, unless uh, let's see. The you, you'll know it. You'll know it when you when you hear me describe it. I was just wondering if the the name rang a bell. This is the the day that amateur referees work the Devils Bruins playoff game uh, after NHL referees walk out, uh, do a wildcat strike. Uh, this is the aftermath of the Have Another Donut incident okay uh, okay this i know yes okay so so game um i don't remember what game it was maybe game four or five anyways the previous game the devils have been mad about the officiating referee don koharski comes off the ice devils coach jim schoenfeld confronts him in the in the hallway off the ice starts screaming at him there is at some point don koharski loses his balance and or gets bumped and he says to John, Jim Schoenfeld, you just, you just bump me. You just knock me over. You're done. You're out of here. You're gone. You're going to be suspended. Um, as, and rightfully so, if, if a coach physically assaulted an official after the game, Jim Schoenfeld starts yelling, I didn't touch you. You fell. Calls him a fat pig. Tells him to have another donut. Um, this is all caught on camera, by the way. The NHL suspends Jim Schoenfeld for the next game. The New Jersey Devils choose to they want to appeal that suspension Lou Lamorello this this young new new fresh-faced executive named Lou Lamorello <laughs> says I got to I, I want to appeal this now this is where believe it or not this is where the story gets weird the part about assaulting referees and fat do- fat pigs and donuts and yeah that's that, nothing that was fine um the 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 appeal process is very clearly laid out in the NHL's rules. It says you've got to appeal to the president of the NHL. That's John Ziegler. Back then it was president, not commissioner, but it's it, he was John Ziegler was basically the Gary Bettman at that time. Here's the problem. Nobody knows where John Ziegler is. He's gone. He's AWOL. Nobody know nobody has a phone number. Nobody knows where he is. There's, you know, there's no Zoom. There's nothing. Nobody knows where John Ziegler is. And therefore, the devils cannot uh, appeal because they don't have a president to appeal to. So instead, Lamorell and the devils go to court. They get a restraining order that says Jim Schoenfeld is allowed to coach. It comes down just hours before the game. The referees for that game show up, including, and I can't remember who the, who the lead ref was, but he was like also the head of the, the officials association. Uh, they show up. They're told, yeah, Jim Schoenfeld's coaching the game and they say nope they turn around and they walk out so the nhl this is the conference finals by the way the nhl has no referees and they have to find three amateur referees put them in it's called yellow sunday because two of them were wearing like yellow raincoats and they go out and they officiate the game i know that people get mad these days when somebody gets suspended or doesn't get suspended or you know there's an extra day between games what is it like as a younger fan, younger person to hear this story and be like, this is this is how the NHL works. This is 1928, by the way. This is 1988. It's not that long ago. And an AWOL commissioner, guys in raincoats officiating a conference final game, coaches accused of 
assaulting referees, restraining orders? Does it does it make you long for the old days? Does it make you appreciate what we have now? No, I don't appreciate what we have now. I want chaos. That's the right answer. Yeah. I absolutely want chaos. I think the commissioner going AWOL would never happen in today's game because of cell phones and tracking and things like that. And also, like, I feel like there's probably a system in place of, like, if I disappear for whatever reason, this mm-hmm. is how you handle it. And this is who's in charge. And I think there'd be a bit stronger of a system in place for that, which is boring. But also not. Actually, that would be kind of funny because then fans have a new person to target. Like, Bill Daly, we hate you now for allowing this yep. to happen. Like, now we have a true villain. And everybody needs a heel. Everyone needs someone to be mad at. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. The yellow raincoats would be hysterical. I would love that. But I feel like the game would get delayed today There's, versus that. But then against the NHL, we could so... like the tickets, man. You're telling me if ESPN's not? like, no, no, man, we got three hours of time blocked off for you. This game's got to happen. There's there's yeah. a very famous and funny clip of the officials coming onto the ice and two of them like almost collide right away. Like they yeah, bump Yeah, that's what it. I need. Oh. And then, see, the difference is today, like I'm that idiot, like jiffing it and posting it. Like, yeah. look at what happened. Like that would be funny. And the other part that would be funny too is like the coaching and the drama. We get, we're getting excited now at Keith and Cooper going back and forth in the Everson yep. DeBoer drama. We're eating that shit up because we don't get enough of it. Coaches and refs getting into it, like, and not just here's your $20,000 fine. Here is, like, legit drama. I'm all for it. We need that. Can it, someone it. can someone step up to the plate and handle this? Who's the next coaching hire that's going to come in? If you want to be a coach, be willing to throw it down with the ref. And and yeah. I will support you no matter how bad or recycled of a coach you are. It, it it was honestly one of the craziest things. The game was delayed by like an hour. They were they just they weren't even telling the fans. They're just like, hey, the the game will start later <laughs> soon. And and the last thing I'll say on this, you know, you talk about well, cell phones and all of this. Part of the reason that nobody knew where it was, it that was kind of intentional. And to this day, we don't know exactly where John Ziegler was. But the story that you hear is that it was a personal family situation. And I won't go into a ton of details. There literally may have been a cult involved. <laughs> oh my God. And I'll leave it there. And uh, that's uh, that's as far as I'll go. I recommend anyone if if you're if if you are younger and you don't know. I'm going to do story, more digging. I know a lot dig. of the story, but now I want. I dig feel more. like I have left even I have left out details. And there's great YouTube clips of not just the donut thing, but like the broadcast having to stall and having to figure out. And then these guys come out in bright yellow and you're like, what is even going on? All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the athletic hockey show. Thank you to Shana for uh, joining us, for filling in for uh, Ian. It was uh, fantastic. I'm I'm giving you a nine out of 10. It would have been a 10 out of 10, except at the very end. Then I found out that you're one of the people that pronounces it Jif. And um, Oh my God. I didn't know. I thought you were going to make fun of me. Be like, ah, you made fun of like, because I said I was not around for 1988, I thought that was going to be my. That's that was also me. That was my minus, but because that I one say that GIF, one hurt, but I can't hold. I can't hold that against you. I don't like GIF at all. Like all right. it's GIF. Okay, well, Shana, Shana may not be back, but uh, <laughs> for the rest of you, thank you for listening. Again, you can always email us your questions at theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at. And right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. 